that picture and you think, gosh, time really flies. Doesn't seem like I should be that old, that I should have kids that are that age. Um, have the, uh, the two girls are 28 and 27. The son is 25. And I always like to tell a story because it's an interesting, one of those funny family facts, I guess. And that was that uh, we were, Stacy and I were this summer here next month. Uh, we're going to be celebrating our 33rd wedding anniversary. Love that idea. Thank you. She's been a good one. She's, uh, she's tough as grit, I'll tell you that, uh, to stick it out with me. But uh, we were married four years, and we had no kids. And then we were married five years, and we had two kids. So it's, uh, the two girls are actually less than a year apart. They came pretty quick, back to back. I think they call those Irish twins. Um, there's actually 10 days during the year where they're the, the same age. Um, I can just remember that day so vividly when Stacy was informed that she was pregnant again and we had a newborn at the house. And um, she just burst into tears. You know, she was like, how are we gonna tell our families? This is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I was like, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> that's a good story. Um, you know, and I like to tell stories. Uh, that's the kind of person I am. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a story today. But before I get into that, look, we just need to address the elephant that's in the room today, like right now. And that is, some of you got up, you got dressed, you got here, and here I am. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I could have slept in. I could be having brunch with the, with the family today, Max and I here. I could have been at the lake. I could have been on the course by now. And unfortunately, you're stuck with me. I don't know. I'm sorry. Does that help? I don't know what else to say. But look, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to just suspend your disbelief for a moment. And I'd like for you to just be quiet and be still and see if God can do something special this morning. Maybe not in your life, but maybe in the life of someone else, but maybe your life. You don't know what God has in store for you. Um, but to just have that moment where you can just be quiet and listen. Because maybe God does have something really interesting in store for you. And it would not be because of anything valuable that I would actually say. I'll prove that here in just a few minutes. But it would solely be because God took something I said that I didn't really know I said and made it personal and real to you. And if that happens... That's a pretty amazing thing because that means the creator of the universe made a personal house call to you. That the, the one who spoke all of creation into existence, 
the one who looks down over the earth and sees seven billion people, somewhere on that agenda, you fell today. And out of those seven billion people, he reaches out and he calls you by name and says, I have something in store for you today. Give him that opportunity to do something in your life, irrespective of the person that's here. Because I'll be very, very honest with you. I have no credentials. I shouldn't be on this stage. <laughs> I'm a flawed human being. I'm a sinful man. I'm just a human. But God likes to use human, be human beings. So here I am. So let me tell you a little bit about my story, all right? And then I'm going to tell you a, a football story, but don't go too far. It's not really a football story. It's a story within a football story that's really the true story, okay? So you don't have to know anything about football to, to be able to get the point. But I think the, the story itself will serve our purposes well this morning. So when I was growing up in the great state of Oklahoma, it was in the 1970s. So I was a sophomore in high school. You can see the, the state license plate here in 1977. You can also tell by the motto on the license plate that Oklahoma was not the most inspirational place to grow up. I mean, who comes up with that? <laughs> Can you, it's like a Dilbert cartoon almost, where some leader at the Department of Motor Vehicles gathers a group of employees together, says, I want you to go on the team room, and I want you to brainstorm the most inspirational statement we can put on our license plate to describe our state. And they come out of the room, and they say, we got it. Oklahoma is OK. It's not great. It's not good. It's, it's okay. I didn't even know how it was going to turn out as a kid because of that. <laughs> figured my lot in life was to be okay. If my wife were here, she'd be so mad at me. <laughs> See, I'm native Texan, you know, so I can say all these things. She's native Oklahoman, um, and she'd be very offended right now. Um, so let's just keep that between us. But I'll tell you what, there was something that was very inspiring when I was living in the state of Oklahoma, and that was Oklahoma Sooner football. <laughs> there, I'm telling you what, that is a guy right there that's tough as nails. <laughs> you know, you're in, the, you're in a, uh, like a Longhorn auditorium more than likely, and you applaud there. That's grit. <laughs> I like that. I admire that. That's courage. Um, but, you know, everything rose with the performance of the Oklahoma Sooners. Like the, the mood swing of the entire state would, would be carried on the backs of the o Oklahoma Sooner football team, uh, especially when it was Texas-Oklahoma weekend. And whatever happened at that game, gosh, if Oklahoma won that game, the whole state was like you hit oil and that euphoria would just last for a whole year. Uh, and if we got beat, same thing, it would just be terrible. Everyone would be depressed and sad, and it would carry, carry around for, for the next year. 
But the story is really about the 1978 Orange Bowl game. And this was a game between the Oklahoma Sooners and the Arkansas Razorbacks. Oh, we got some, uh, you have your shoes on today? <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> That's not a way to endear the hearts of people when you do things like that. My apologies. I feel like growing up in Oklahoma, I can say things like that, though, because that's how it was. Um, so this was a really interesting game because both teams were going into the Orange Bowl game were 10 and 1. They'd only suffered one defeat that season, and that was to the, to the hands of the Texas Longhorns. Both, both teams had been uh, undefeated going into their game against Texas, and on subsequent weeks, back-to-back uh, -back weeks, Texas beat OU, then Texas beat Arkansas. And that actually positioned the University of Texas to play in the national championship game that year in the Cotton Bowl against uh, Notre Dame. Some of you who are old as I am, you'll remember what happened at that game. Uh, Joe Montana was the quarterback. It didn't turn out very well for the uh, Texas Longhorns, but that put more at stake for the Orange Bowl game. Because now, knowing that Texas had been beaten, if OU wins the game, they're likely to be national champions that year. Same thing for Arkansas Razorbacks. If they beat OU, they're likely to actually get the nod and be national champions for that year. So here's what happens in this story. So the two teams pack up and they go to Miami, Florida for their week of practice before the game that Saturday. They get into town, and everything, the buzz, is all about the Oklahoma Sooners. They have a Heisman Trophy uh, running back, Billy Sims. They are bigger. They are stronger. They are more physical. Their skilled people are better than the Arkansas Razorback skilled uh, positions. They're faster. They're more athletic. Everything is about OU and how badly Arkansas is going to get beat on that Saturday when they take the field. So as they go through the week of practice, Lou Holtz happens to be the coach at the time of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he's watching the team and their mood and their attitude and their thoughts about Saturday's game as they are reading the media headlines, as they are being told that they're going to suffer one of the most embarrassing losses in the school's history. And he notices that it's not good. To make matters worse, their best offensive lineman during that week of practice blows his knee out. And so now he's injured, and he's unable to compete in the game on Saturday. Now, if things couldn't get much worse, there are two running backs. They happen to be the starting two running backs for the University of Arkansas who violate team rules during that week. Lou Holtz suspends those two players from the game. So they're not able to play on Saturday. Now, those two running backs accounted for 75% of all the points scored by that team during the year. So now they're not even on the field. So it's the night before the ball game. 
Lou Holtz calls a team meeting because he knows his team's in dire shape. He knows that they've been beaten down by all the messaging. They've been beaten down by the, um, by the media. They've been told they're an inferior team. They have begun to believe that they are an inferior team. And so he gathers them together in a meeting space, maybe like this, in a hotel room, and he walks in, and here's what he says. We have a really big hill to climb tomorrow. We have a very tough competitor, one of the best in the, in the country. In fact, there's a probably, there's a good likelihood we might get beat tomorrow. They're that good. Some would say they're tough as nails. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're better. They're just all around, they're at a different level than what we are. But before we raise up the white flag and we just surrender without playing the game, I'd like for one person on this football team to stand up and tell me something good about this team. Crickets. Like, nobody stands up. It's one of those awkward silence moments where I'm sure Lou Holtz was thinking, really? Like, nobody is going to stand up and say something good about our football team? How about a trainer? How about an assistant coach? How about an equipment manager? Someone just stand up and tell me something good about this football team. So after a few minutes, one guy stands up and he says, well, you know, coach, we've got a pretty good place kicker. In fact, in the game against Texas, he kicked a 60-yarder. So he's pretty good. Like if we just get past the 50-yard line, we might have a chance to score points because his leg's that strong. Lou Holtz was like, you're right. He's one of the best place kickers in the country. He's pretty darn good. We might can score some points off of that leg of his. Great point. Anyone else like to say something good about our football team? Well, another guy stands up and he says, well, coach, you haven't kicked off anybody from the defensive side of the, <laughs> of the team. So we still got all those guys, and we're a pretty good defense. Like the only team that's beat us has been the number one team in the nation, Texas Longhorns. Everyone else, we've held them. They haven't scored in as many points. So our defense is pretty good. Lou Hull says, gosh, you're right. Our defense is actually really good. The paper doesn't believe it. The media doesn't believe it. The city doesn't believe it. But you're right. They're pretty good. So one by one, over the course of the next hour, every player, every coach, every training manager, every equipment manager, they all stand up and they say something positive. They say something good about their football team. Now, the last guy to stand up 
in this team meeting was a guy by the name of Roland Sells. Roland Sells had been the third team running back on this football team. Well, since the first two guys that were the starters had been suspended from the team, he now is the starting running back in this game. So he stands up and he says, hey, guys, um, you know, I've never started a college football game in my life. In fact, as all of you know, just a year ago, I was pumping gas at the Texaco station. I'm pretty much a, uh, a nobody. But I just want you to know, if you'll help me, I'll give you my best. I'll give you my all. I'll run harder than I've ever run before. I won't put the ball on the ground. When I'm tired, I won't come out of the game. If I get injured, I'll just suck it up and I'll stay in there. But you can count on me. If you'll just help me, I'll give it all I've got. I'll give you everything that I have. I'll leave it all on the field. So Lou Holtz notes that he feels like the team has now convinced itself that they are a better team than the University of Oklahoma. That no longer are they 26-point underdogs, which is what they were going into the game, but they were actually convinced that OU should be the underdog in this game. So here's what happened in that game. Arkansas beats. Now you should be applauding. Um, <laughs> Arkansas beats the University of Oklahoma 31 to 6. That obscure running back, Roland Sales, who had never started a college football game in his life, rushes for more than 200 yards and sets an Orange Bowl record that would stand for more than 20 years. That's a pretty amazing story. So now you go, okay, you got me on that one. Good story. Good job. But um, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with all of us sitting here? I mean, it's kind of a good story, and I like it, and... It's interesting and had some good points in there, but what does it really, how does it relate to us? So let me take you back to that Arkansas team. Let's just talk for a second about the issues that they were facing. Number one, they had an issue of confidence. They had lost their confidence. They had bought into the future that was being defined for them by someone else. They were reading the media. They were questioning themselves. They thought that they had become an inferior team, that all of a sudden a team that was 10-1 and one was not a good football team. All their successes had been wiped out somehow by, in the course of letting others define their future instead of them defining their future. Then they had guys on the team like the one offensive lineman that were just simply injured unable to compete, sidelined by their injuries. 
And then they had those two running backs who had some personal failures that week, violated some team rules, don't know what they were, doesn't matter, but they violated the team rules, and now they were put on the sideline, unable to compete. And then you had a guy like Roland Sells, who's truthfully just trying to find relevance. You know, he's coming from the point of, who am I? I'm like a nobody. I'm just trying to make sense of all this and find relevance and a way to contribute to the team. That's all I'm worried about. And I think in a room like this, full of as many people that are here this morning, we're suffering from some of these same issues. And I'm going to say, as I go through these, I've suffered, I suffer from all of them. Let's talk about that loss of confidence. For some of us, we've really begun to question our faith. Is it strong enough? Does it really last? Is it enough to ensure my eternity? I mean, for goodness sakes, I get up every day, I turn on Fox News, I turn on CNN, maybe I turn on MSNBC, hopefully not, but, um, <laughs> but, you, but you look at this world that we live in and you go, you know, you just want to like duck your head and shake it, you know, because you're like, seriously, in, a, in the U.S. with 350 million people that live in the U.S., these two are the best we got. <laughs> like, <laughs> you look at the TVs and it's marred with suffering, war. I mean, I look at images of Syria and how can your heart not do anything but break for those communities, those families that, you know, are just in utter ruins. And then every time I hear something about Syria, I have to hear 15 other stories about other really bad things happening across the world. Wars, other wars, rumors of wars, famine, disease, pestilence, viruses, killer storms. What in the world's happening with the weather? Killer storms, earthquakes. I mean, you just go down this list, and I think sometimes on our darkest of days, we go, wow, how can I win? God, where is the victory in all of this? And somehow you open the door and our fiercest competitor steps in and makes us start questioning our faith. And then, no doubt, there are folks in here this morning that are suffering from injury, just like that lineman who, who blew his knee out. You're suffering from physical injuries. You're suffering, perhaps, from some emotional injuries, some relational Injuries, perhaps, spiritual, mental, but you feel beat up. You feel broken. 
and you feel like you've been put on the injured reserve list, that you're just not healthy enough to compete. I'm not healthy enough to go play my best, so I'm relegated to the sidelines. And then without question, if you're not in one of those first two categories, I know you're in this third one because I am. We get reminded of all of our personal failures. Broken marriages, issues in the family, dead-end job, financial issues. You just kind of go down the list, and I don't know what yours is, but you can name yours. I've got mine, and they got names on them. But whatever it is for you, name it. And you too, maybe on your darkest day, on your worst day, maybe you too say, God, how can I win? God, where, where's the victory in all of this? And then there's someone who you don't even know why you're here this morning, but you're here. You didn't intend to be here, but you are. God's just kind of working in your life. You don't even know it, but you're looking for relevance like that Roland Sales figure in the story where you're just trying to make sense of you. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, who am I in this big scheme of things? How do, what could God do with someone like me? Like, I don't even come from a good background. I don't have a great education. I can't hang on to a job. My relationships are a mess. I mean, what good am I? And you're just trying to find your place in this world. And I understand it. So if I take you back to the imagery of the story, here we are in our team room the night before our biggest game. And that's this game called life, right? So here in a few minutes, that door's going to open, that door's going to open, and we're going to walk out onto the playing field, and we're going to have to compete in this game of life that has some serious consequences to it, far greater than a football game, right? And I mean, it's tough. And it feels like we're in need of that moment, like that Arkansas Razorback team is. We need some coach to walk in here, say, okay, guys, come on. Come on, team. Gather up. Let's talk about this for a second. Can someone, we need a coach that says, can someone tell me something good about this team? So what if it wasn't a coach that walked into our team meeting right now? What if it were the Savior that walked into our team meeting right now? What if it were the King of Kings? Not a king, but the king. What if he walked into our meeting room right now? 
what would the Savior's message to this team be? Well, I have no doubt he would start the same way that Lou Holtz started his team meeting. He would remind us of our competition. First Peter says it the best. I think Christ would say, hey, listen up, all eyes right here. Our competitor is tough. He's mean, he's dirty, he's nasty, he doesn't play by the rules. And look, the only he, thing he cares, cares about is destroying your life. He's not tough as nails, but some would say he's tough as hell. You better be on guard for that guy. I'm telling you, team, he doesn't mess around. And then he'd tell us about the world we live in, John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be trial, tribulation, suffering. I mean, there's a lot of theology that's getting boiled down into these two points. In this world, you will have trouble, and you better be on guard because your adversary is one tough son of a gun. And he's out to destroy you. And look, I mean, seriously, if, if the king of kings didn't experience this, I mean, think about him. This is the savior. This is the son of God. This is the king, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the holies of holies. This is him. He was rejected. He was abandoned. He was sold out. He suffered, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was hung on a cross, and he was killed. If he wasn't spared those things, our life is not going to be easy. We're going to have to be tough. I think he would set that landscape and say, you're going to have to be tough because that's the world we live in. Your faith is going to be put to the test every day. And this guy over here is going to be looking to take your legs out at every moment. You're going to have to be prepared to suffer for your faith. That's what comes along with it. I think that's how he would start this team meeting, warning us. But here's where that meeting would take a dramatic turn if it were our Savior here and not Lou Holtz in this room. Our Savior wouldn't say, hey, can someone tell me something good about this team? Our Savior would say, the King of Kings would say, let me tell you something good about I am. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. 
John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 9, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever needed a door to escape? I am the door, Christ says. Have you ever been so hungry and so thirsty for change in your life? You come to me and you will never hunger or thirst again. Have you ever been looking for truth, for meaning, for substance, something that makes you relevant? You come to me and you will be saved. Have you ever needed just some still water where you can escape the the rushing currents of this world? Have you ever needed a green pasture that's plentiful and the bounty is full? Then you come to me because I'm the good shepherd. So in your darkest moment, when you're thinking, God, where is our victory? Here's what he would say. The rest of that verse, now the rest of the story, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take peace. I have overcome the world. 1 John 5, 8. And where is that victory? Where do you and I get that victory? In our faith. Our faith in the Son of God. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the person that overcomes the world. So I'm telling you today, here's theology, you know, this is the second, uh, the second lesson here in our theology lesson. If you and I search for victory in any other place apart from the cross and Jesus Christ, going to fail. I'm not a theologian, but he who says he is the way, the truth, and the life, I can bank on his words. That's truth. In a world that doesn't seem to know truth, that's truth. And because he said it, I can believe it. And I can have faith. So please, don't trust in anything else. It leads nowhere. There's no healing. There's no restoration. It's a dead end. There is no life. The pastures are bare. The rivers have run dry. If you search for it in any other place, 
it's not there. The door is shut. The door is locked. You are going to be hungry. You are going to be thirsty. But if you come to the I am, the great I am, you'll have abundance. You'll have life. And it doesn't mean it's a perfect life. God doesn't perfect our faith through a life with no trial, no tribulation, no suffering. See, the victory is not getting through this life pain-free. The victory is having the faith to endure all of this so that in the end, as Paul says, I reach the prize. And what is the prize? The prize is eternity with the Father and the Son, the King. That's the prize. That's winning. That's the victory that he wants us to have. Could I just ask you to bow your heads? There's no question that we're, we all suffer. We all have pain. We all have trials. We have troubles. We have tribulation. And we feel the effects of a fierce competitor. We feel the, the effects of a competitor that wants to destroy our lives. And to some degree or another, we all need to have that rolling sales moment where we stand and we declare to the King of Kings, to our Father in heaven, and we say, Father, I'm a third teamer. I haven't been on the field very much. I'm not certain I've got a lot to offer. But if you'll help me, I'll give you my best. I'll turn it over. I'll give you everything I have. I'll leave it all on the field if you'll just help me. If you've never done that with your life, and you're tired of fighting a battle that you can't win, and you're ready to win, you'd like to experience some success in your life, you'd like to experience the victory in your life, you need to give your heart to Christ. Today's that day for you to do it. If you'd like to do that, I'm just going to ask that you pray these words along with me. Father God, I come to you with really not much of anything. I come to you with a broken life, a beat life, a sinful life, a life marred with failures and injuries and full of messes. But I want that to end today. I bring all of me 
the good, the bad, the ugly. And I come to the foot of your cross. And I lay these things, I lay my life at the feet of Jesus. And I ask that he come into my life to forgive me, to restore me, to begin to show me the way, the truth, so that I can have life eternal. I trust that you will do this for me today, oh God, and that you'll begin to show me the victory of loving you, serving you, suffering for you, and following you. I ask this in your son's name, who loved me and gave it all for me. In Christ's name, amen. If you would remain with your heads bowed for just a moment, eyes closed. If you just made that decision, to give your life to Christ. I want to ask if you would just put your hand in the air to mark this moment, this moment that you said, I'm all in, Jesus. Jesus, I give my life to you. We have a tradition around here. As you put your hands down, we celebrate that and put our hands together and say, welcome home. Welcome home.